Um, it is good, isn't it, to be here in person. It's good to, to meet up <coughs> and to connect. It's really good to, uh, to see everybody back in the new year. A special uh, mention to one or two, I noticed who are watching online, there's about 22 families at the moment watching online. Trevor and Caroline over in England, notice that you're watching us. Uh, good to see you. It's good to have you with us. And uh, good to have you with us, Hannah, uh, back from Canada, uh, home, celebrating Christmas Day today. Don't tell her it's the 2nd of January, uh, but uh, really good to have you. And for those who are visiting uh, with us, uh, it's really good to have you uh, as well. Just one uh, quick announcement to say there is tea and coffee and donuts after the service today. The weather is good, so uh, I think the, the way we do is we, if you want a tea, coffee, donut, and you can have all of those or none of those. You go out that direction and collect your uh, tea, coffee, donut, and then hopefully we'll be able to get outside and have a, a bit of a natter with each other and a bit of fellowship. So <clears throat> we've been thinking a little bit, looking back and looking forward uh, in our prayers so far this morning. As the year draws to an end and a new day dawns and a new year dawns, it's very natural for businesses and communities uh, to think back or community organizations to think back on what has been, to take stock, to review the past, and to maybe learn lessons, and to take those forward into the future. It's a time, too, when individuals also set about thinking about such things, uh, and resolutions come to the fore. New Year's resolutions come to the fore. I mentioned this time last year that uh, there'd been a study in the University of Bristol uh, that, that they came across, they did 3,000 people, and they discovered that 88% of those who set New Year's resolutions fail. Uh, as one person said, they go in one year and out the other. Uh, uh, boom, boom. Um, but thank you, Josh. Um, it's bad when you have to prompt people to say that was actually humor. Um, <laughs> But also, I find a very interesting statistic in that 18 to 24-year-olds, almost half of 18 to 24-year-olds make resolutions. But less than 20% of those who are 55 plus make New Year's resolutions. Are we, I know it's hard to believe, but I'm slightly in that category. Are we more pessimistic? Are we more realistic? Uh, are we just tired? <laughs> Or are we just getting grumpy in our old age and we don't want to bother about such things? Why do people make resolutions anyway? Why is this tradition in place? I was thinking about this, and perhaps for some it's an opportunity to reset. Other people are doing it. It's an opportunity for me to do something similar. Maybe for others it's a challenge. It's in your nature. You're, you're, you're up for challenge. You, you like new challenges, and it's an opportunity to take something else on board. But could it be for many that we want to attain something, we want to achieve something, we want to prioritize something, and it gives us an opportunity to say, I'm going to do something about this. Here's a chance to do it. So what I want you to do is have a think for one wee minute. I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to ask anybody to tell me anything, so just you can keep these thoughts to yourself, about a resolution that you have made, maybe this year or in previous years, or a New Year's resolution or some other resolution. It doesn't have to be in the New Year. Just think for about 10 seconds about something that comes to mind. <clears throat> I'm going to do the same. I would suggest that the resolutions we make sometimes reflect what we value. <clears throat> 
It reflects what we prioritize. Do you know the three most popular resolutions in this part of the world are getting fit, losing weight, and eating more healthily. I'm not sure if one of those were your three, one of those three were yours. But it would appear that people in this part of the world will value living longer and maybe looking better. Today we're going to explore a passage, however, where Paul declared a single priority. And all of his resolutions were wrapped around that single priority. It's something he valued above everything else. And apologies to you on this side of the room, this projector isn't working, so you'll just have to refer to this one. Let me just uh, l- uh, refer you to Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and this is what he says. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul's declared priority was to know Christ. Paul had come to a place where he had died to his own ambitions and his own agenda, and then that same power that raised Christ from the dead was becoming real to him. And Paul declared his priority as being to know Christ. And he wrote this letter when he was in prison. We actually studied it some time ago in our church. Uh, and, and you might remember this. He'd, so he had time in his hands. And he goes on, therefore, in the next three verses to reflect on this priority of knowing Christ. To consider how he's doing against this priority of knowing Jesus. You know, it is important sometimes to take some time out and think about how we're doing against what we value. This is a really poor example, but I was just thinking the other day, I've been talking to a few people about this. Do you see these beams, these beams here? It struck me that when I was in primary school a few years ago, we had those beams, two beams hanging from the roof, and I've been in many assembly halls where these beams exist. I'm sure you're the same. And it struck me, I've never used those beams. And if I did use those beams, what would I use them for? Do you jump over one and duck down the other? Do you, do you, do you, what do you do? I was speaking to Ian, was saying, he was sharing to me, maybe, uh, I'll say nothing, but maybe, maybe, maybe PE in a certain day was different. Um, <laughs> because he remembers what they're for. But here's the point. If I was, a, sorry, Ian, you, you don't look it at all. Thank you, thank you. Digging, out, digging deep here. But, Here's the thing, if I was a school uh, PE head and I was putting these things in, when I go, oh, well, the other schools are doing it, so I'm just doing it, without actually thinking about what on earth are these things for? If, you've, if you know what they're for, please let me know. But it strikes me, I see lots of schools with these two beams. I don't know why two beams. I don't even know why one beam. But do you just go on and just buy the beams because that's what other schools do? Or do you say, what are we meant to be doing in PE anyway? Let's get rid of the beams. That's not the preach this morning, by the way. Get rid of the beams. But Paul took time. He had a value set, and he took time to chew over and think, am I just going to keep on doing what I'm doing, or am I going to do something about it? I'm going to change. And so he reflects on this value. So we'll pick up the next three verses if you move on to the next slide. And this is what he said, not that I've already obtained this as in knowing Christ, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ took hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, because Paul valued his relationship with Jesus, he paused and he invested in it. Do you ever pause? I'm asking myself this question. Do I ever pause and take stock? Review where I am in my walk with Jesus. And sometimes this can be a painful thing to do. I would like to offer us all the opportunity to do that thing this morning, albeit briefly, to follow Paul's example. And you're going to see what I mean in a moment or two. And don't worry, nobody's going to be asked to say anything. So just relax. But in this passage, you see, Paul looked back first of all. Well, I, I say first of all, I'm not necessarily in that particular chronological order, but Paul certainly took, out, took time out to reflect and look on what had already gone. He didn't allow, this is the important thing, he didn't allow his failures to hold him back. Reflection was about restoration with God, about renewal. And he says in verse 13, he, he was forgetting what is behind. That dimension of his past that weighed him down, perhaps. That thing, that failure, that, that sense of, of distance between him and God, of past sin. And if you think for a minute about Paul's history, how he must have thought of that at times, or been tempted to think about that at times, of persecuting the people that he now were brother, was a brother of, and, sister, and he had enjoyed family relationships with. Imagine how he must have thought of the picture of Stephen being stoned and Paul approving that, how that could have had the danger of weighing him down. And he reflects on this at times. And in the, church, in, the, in, the, in the letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he says, I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. You see, Paul had come to understand that if God promised him forgiveness, why should he refuse it? and so rob himself of the freedom that God was offering him. So he took action, as can we, to actively let go of what is behind. That skeleton in the closet, that grudge that we hold, or even that past victory that we live off and continue to live off, Paul was saying, I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm not going to let that dictate that negative thing or that false positive thing dictate about what's going forward. But also it was about thankfulness as he reflected. This noticing about how God, as we were doing this morning, how God has been working in him, has been working through him. This whole letter was full of joy. I thank God every time I remember you, he said. I and he talked us to rejoice in the Lord always as he reflected on what God had already done. So in this letter, Paul is in reflective mode, reviewing what has been, letting go of the past, and noticing God at work. Do you ever do that? Do you ever pause to notice where God has been this year and to thank him? Ignatius of Loyola 
at the turn of the 16th century, developed a daily practice of looking back at the past day in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The purpose was to pause to notice God at work and to repent of any shortcomings, to keep a short account, if you like, with God. He wanted intimacy with his heavenly Father, you see. And he came up with a daily spiritual practice, which has become popular in recent years, even in the Reformed tradition, in, 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 in a practice called the examine. And we sometimes practice it in soul survivors, and it's a daily exercise. But I'm going to suggest that we do something similar to that today in our service, to recall with God's help some of the ways in which God has been at work in our lives this last year in quiet. So I'm going to create some space right now, and we're going to play some music to help us not be distracted as we consider two steps. The first step is about acknowledging where life has been tough, because it has for many. It has probably at times for all of us. Acknowledge times when it's been difficult or when we've fallen short so that we can draw close to God and, and identify what's been burdening and let it go. But then we're going to take time also to notice where we've experienced joy and wonder. And we're going to notice and give thanks. So I'm going to ask Stephen, if you put up the first slide, and in the next slide's going to come in a couple of minutes. But in the first one, don't let these points to be the only things you think about. But this is about taking time to talk to God, to lament, and also then subsequently to rejoice in the presence of His Holy Spirit. So let's just take some time now with God personally. And there's going to be some music playing as this slide comes, and then in a couple of minutes later, there'll be another slide as well to help us in our deliberations.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the things that have brought me joy and life this year. For the evidence of your hand at work in my life. For the people you have allowed me to journey with. For the church family that surrounds me. And for the challenging circumstances where you have been with me, even if I didn't notice. I ask you to help me throw off the things that hinder and throw me back. The way I compare myself with others. My reluctance to ask for help when I need it. The hurt that I'm holding inside. I want to be free of these things in the coming year, Father. And I ask for forgiveness as I consciously turn away from everything, every sin that so easily entangles. Help me fix my, firm, my eyes firmly on Jesus. And help me run the race marked out for me. That practice um, is something that some people practice every day. And if you want to know more about that, let me know and I'll send you some information on it. Uh, it's actually quite interesting. I decided to do this and then the, uh, some of us use the 24-7 prayer app. Uh, and this week, actually, they started to do this towards the end of the week as well. Many today find comfort and, and restoration in pausing each day to just notice God at work in their lives and turning away from the things that hinder them. So turning back, just as we bring matters to a close, back to the passage, Paul wasn't just concerned about the past. He also looked to the future. And if you turn up the next slide, Paul lived, you see, with the future in mind. I'm going to try something slightly risky. There we go. <clears throat> His stated purpose was to know Christ. And so the goal he had was to win the prize for which God had called him heavenward in Christ Jesus. For Paul, this was his single priority, Jesus. And everything centered around it. All the values he had, we mentioned that before. And even those priorities and resolutions, they had landed him in prison. And he had no regrets you know, the decisions and resolutions, I was reflecting on this, that I take today can actually in a very different way land me in a prison as well. They can massively affect my future and constrain my future. And so it's really important that I take time to think about the decisions that I make today. I remember a number of years ago when I was a lot younger, uh, I was on a ski holiday uh, and um, it was my second ski holiday. And for those of you who know anything about skiing, and I don't know much, there are the, these kind of four gradients. There's the green, which is kind of the nursery slopes, the easy stuff. Um, and then there's the blue, which gives you a wee bit more action. Uh, and then it moves up to red, where there's a wee bit more of adrenaline flowing. And you need to know what you're doing when you go to these red runs. They're, they're a bit steeper. And then it comes to the black. 
and the black is not for the faint-hearted. The black runs are the dangerous runs. It's where, the, where you need to be really uh, aware of what you're doing. And my youthful male ambition wanted to do a black run, and so I set myself the target of doing a black run this particular year, knowing very little about skiing. And I remember going up to the top of the slope, and I remember I used to see this sign uh, halfway down the slope, you sort of see blue run this way, black run that way, and I used to always turn to the right, and I thought, I'm going to do this, partly for myself, but a lot to do with bragging rights when I got home. Yeah, yeah, I do black runs. Uh, and so I set off uh, this particular day towards the end of the holiday, and uh, I was heading down, and I came to the decision point, and I decided to go left to the black run. I'd had five days of snow ski experience by this stage, so of course I was able for it, or so I thought. And the first 10 minutes of that run were glorious. I remember thinking, I don't even notice that this is black. I must be so much further advanced in my five days that this, is, this has just come as, 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 as easy to me. And then, as I noticed, the path narrowed more and more. There was a kind of slope this way, and the path that I was due to go was that way, and it narrowed more and more. But then, to my horror, on the left-hand side of this slope, there was this drop, and I thought, it's a wonder they don't put a sign, danger, stay away from the drop. But then I noticed the path stopped, and the drop was the black run. The problem was there was no choice because you can't ski uphill, I discovered. I did try. And I had to go down that. And I honestly thought this was something you had to avoid, but this was actually the run. And I, I spent the next half hour on my side skis doing this. There was no pleasure in it, but hey, I've done a black run. <laughs> but here's the point. When I got to that part of the run, and I had sailed along for about, about 10 minutes, thinking that was a good decision that I made back there. I wanted to change that decision at this point, but it was too late. I'd already made the decision way back there, and that was impacting and affecting what was going to happen now. And there was nothing I could do about it. Because the decision I took back then was affecting something much further in the future. The steps I take today can have a huge impact on what my options are tomorrow. The job I choose to take today, the promotion I take, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with promotion, but I need to realize that might affect the chances of me having time for others in the future. That loan I take today to pay off something which might be really important to me will constrain my ability to be generous in the future. There are many decisions I make today. The move I make today will affect who I'm in contact with tomorrow. So when Paul looked to the future, his decisions were firmly on the goal, firmly on the value of knowing Christ. So what steps am I taking today that will open doors for his kingdom in the future? What steps am I taking today that will hinder this? This requires prayerful consideration for obvious reasons. Because sometimes a year down the line, I'll go, I can't do anything about this. I can't do that. It's because of the decision I took maybe a year ago. But Paul didn't just think about the past. He didn't just think in the future. He lived in the present. One thing I do, he said, I press on towards the goal. He was not weighed down by the past. 
He was not waiting for the future. He was living in the present. And that's something that's a danger, isn't it? That we can wait for the future to happen. Round the corner, it's going to be so great. Paul pressed on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus had taken hold of him. Robert J. Hastings was an American pastor, Baptist pastor, who wrote a poem called The Station. It talks about the journey of life being like a train. I don't know if you've ever come across it. A train journey where we live always expecting ourselves to pull into this station. Maybe a promotion, maybe a new car, maybe adulthood, maybe retirement. And we spend our lives pacing the aisles of the train, counting the miles until the train reaches the station. And as the poem goes on, this is what he says, and I quote, Sooner or later, however, we must realize there is no station in this life, no one earthly place to arrive at once and for all. The journey is the joy. The station is an illusion. It constantly outdistances us. I can nearly say that. It constantly outdistances us. Yesterday is a memory. Tomorrow is a dream. Yesterday belongs to history. Tomorrow belongs to God. Yesterday's a fading sunset. Tomorrow is a faint sunrise. Only today is there light enough to love and live. So gently close the door on yesterday and throw the key away. It's the burdens of today that drive me mad, men mad. Sorry, it's not the burdens of today that drive men mad. Rather, it's regret over yesterday and fear over tomorrow. Regret and fear are twin thieves that would rob us of today. Relish the moment is a good motto, especially when coupled with Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Paul had one single value. His resolution revolved around it, and it was to know Christ. Following his example, let's seek to let go of the things of the past, the failures that hold us back. Following his example, let's invest in the future, in that prize to which God calls us heavenward. But also following his example, let's live in the present. Let's not wait for the future. Let's press on and take hold for that which he has. How much I need to follow Paul's example. Josh.